Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, this is Emma, Senior Account Manager at the Webby Awards. The 24th Annual Webby Awards is open for entries. We have all new categories this year for your work in podcasts, social, immersive and mixed reality video, and much more. Check out all the categories and enter by the early entry deadline on Friday, October 25th to take advantage of the best pricing. Enter your work at webbyawards.com. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. All up in your feed. No, you are fake news. Demand better of the internet. Love and protect each other. Hey there and welcome back. It's no secret that the news cycle has become more divisive over the last few years. Sometimes it feels like with every breaking news story, we're pulled into a world where politics and ideologies drive the story instead of information and basic reporting. As the former chief White House correspondent for CNN, our next guest, Jessica Yellen, knows a lot about why the news is so combative and uninformative and is on a mission to change it. Her independent internet news organization, News Not Noise, is an oasis for people looking for just that. Great reporting, insight, and information without all the drama. Just breaking down policy and terms in basic language. Through Instagram stories, Jessica dissects the news for her audience, anyone who is dissatisfied with the current state of news, which turns out to be a lot of people. Not only is Jessica bringing clarity to news, she's bringing a much-needed dose of empathy, and the message is resonating. We started talking about why she transitioned from traditional broadcast journalism to where she is today. When I was on the news, I always had this instinct that there was a part of the audience I wasn't reaching. And it wasn't because of the TV aspect of it necessarily, but it had more to do with the way I was telling stories. You know, I was the chief White House correspondent, but I also covered the elections. And when you're chasing the election, you're really chasing undecided voters. That's how we do it, right? Mm. So I'd spend the last, you know, months and months and months of my life, each election, just going around the country talking to undecided voters. And the questions they'd ask me were so different from the kind of stories I was doing. They weren't interested in this is the spat between the White House and Congress. They wanted to know, in the current context, what does sanctions really mean? What's the trade war and how is it impacting me? Um, they wanted like a basic level. And then they also wanted like, what's the real deal on Hong Kong? And they wanted you to demystify stories. Hmm. And I wasn't given the opportunity to do that. I couldn't do that in this space. I had this instinct there was a way to tell news differently. And I started the account really to challenge myself to see if I could figure out ways to tell the news differently and still attract an audience. And so for people who haven't, who don't follow you on Instagram and maybe haven't gone to the news, not noise site, yeah. like give us the, like, what's the philosophy behind it? First of all, you find it at my name, which is at Jessica Yellen, Y-E-L-L-I-N on Instagram. That's where I, that's my primary posting site. 
And the idea is too often in the news, we make everything into a mountain. Nothing's a molehill. If you don't have time to spend your day surfing the web and deciphering news all the time, it's hard to distinguish what's the most important story and why. And the goal is to reach an audience that wants information, but told in a way that doesn't give you a panic attack. Hmm. So I think that too often the news right now is programmed to compete for consumers' anxiety. And I want to tell you stories in a way that make you feel like you understand it, you know what it's really about, like why it matters. And it leaves you feeling empowered and confident with information so that you can act. Either read about this again, listen, talk about it at dinner, or actually take action in your life. And I think the way we do the news too often is the opposite. We throw jargon at you. We spew outrage and opinion. And we leave people feeling disempowered, confused, and not ready to act. And why, why do you think that is? Is it, is it like the people need to be entertained or there needs to be some amount of like something else besides the news to get people to watch it? Or I think it's like many businesses where through past success, everybody somehow consensus has developed around a way to achieve success, right? That there's a way to get ratings and there's a way to get ad dollars. Mm. And the way you do that is by maximizing conflict. And so the conventional wisdom, especially in TV news, is conflict drives ratings. Make the news like ESPN. You know, even the setups for the debates are like, Elizabeth Warren versus bum, 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 Bernie Sanders. It's as if it's straight straight from WWF. Mm. And it's not an accident. I was told as a political reporter, watch ESPN. Be more like that. Wow. I'm not saying that doesn't work. Obviously, it's working for part of the audience. But I also think there's a part of the audience that's deeply turned off by that. I know it because I've now done like the focus groups and you talk. I thought it was women, but it's women and certain millennials. It's like a, it's a psychographic of a person who's basically like doesn't want to be triggered. They're already living at a level of anxiety and they don't want more. So what they want to see is news that's told with compassion, caring, authenticity, clarity. Always Instagram? Was that always how you thought? thought about it and, and and why Instagram versus all these other platforms are because what's kind of unique and cool is also is that like it doesn't seem like you're like hey I need to have every single thing I say on like nine different platforms right it's <laughs> but like, I'm told I should yeah, right well, that's what everybody that's what everybody else does right it's like it's like the same thing all over every single thing but you, you've like clearly like chosen Instagram I chose Instagram because a there wasn't a really strong news voice there right? There wasn't another offering that I thought was dominant. B, again, I thought that the real audience for this was women. I didn't realize it's just all these people who mistrust news. And Instagram skews female. And also, Instagram has been for me an environment that's slightly less hostile than some of the other platforms. Like it's not, it doesn't already have the taint of being perceived as connected to fake news in the same way as some others. Um, It doesn't have the trolling aspect to the same degree as others in my experience. And it was an easy way for me to just start. I don't know if I plan to only be Instagram Mm. in the future, but it's been a great launching spot. Yeah. And did you know Lila back in the CNN days too or no? No, but we connected after Lila at Instagram. Yeah. She does news partnerships. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. And we've had her on the podcast. Yeah, she's cool. She's been a a good friend of the Webbies for a while. You talked a little bit about the demographic. So were you thinking you were looking for these people who wanted the type of news that you just described or were you thinking that these are women and those ended up being those type of people? 
the only people who are happy with TV news as it is are dudes over 40. And everyone else is kind of not liking it so much. They obviously have a female audience, but there's an appetite for something different. And, you know, I also, I didn't have necessarily a plan. Like, I just, I would talk about how we have to fix the news and we have to do things differently and you can't, like, what matters isn't getting discussed. And my friends would say to me all the time, Yellen, stop talking, start doing. Like, what am I supposed to do? And then they'd ask me, you know, what's going on? This is like with the Trump's tax cuts. Like, what is the deal? Like, I, I know the fight, but just tell me bottom line. If, if this passes, what then? And if that passes, what then? And I'd t- explain it to them. And they'd say, okay, what you just did, pick up your phone, hit record, and tell it to your phone. Hmm. And I was like, I mean, that's ridiculous. I'm not a selfie person. That's all about me. I mean, you can think of every – But what's interesting, though, too, is that you you were, like, on camera all the time before, right? But it felt different. It's almost like the the architecture of the thing gave you the like permission, permission. to do it, as opposed to you. It, it requires all this like personal self starting, right? It's yeah. self starting all the time, and then the actual mechanics of it are me doing a selfie, basically. And I'm old enough now that it's like the news is the news, the reporter isn't the news. We've gotten very far from that, but that's how I was trained. The one wrinkle is that my very first job in TV news was as a one-man band reporter where I'd take my own camera alone and have to shoot and edit everything, including my own stand-up. So I do have experience kind of doing this. Right. You weren't just the person who showed up sometimes on a set and everybody did something. You had the experience of like doing it all and getting it together and that hustle that really takes to do that. Yeah. You do it from your name as opposed to like say from News Not Noise. That feels like an intentional decision. So I started on my name because I just was practicing, and then it started to grow. I'm a journalist. Like, I don't have a background in reading social media algorithms or how do you maximize, like, growth hacking and any of that, right? Anybody who's listening who does, you can DM me and give me some advice. <laughs> I could use it. But my the feedback i gotten is that the algorithm favors names hmm. and individuals over brands. Okay. And that people trust individuals over brands. And the other piece of it is I do think that news is trending in a direction where the individual reporters will be who you connect with and follow in the future as opposed to the legacy institution. Right. So let's say you think Dana Bash is the bomb. You follow Dana and then the people Dana directs you to over her news org. So in in that way, I mean, really journalists and reporters are actually getting a lot more like leverage or import because of social media because they can do this stuff from their accounts. And while you're actually doing all of it like for yourself, (laughs) you're not doing it for another company, you're doing it for your company, even reporters at CNN or whatever have their social media account, they build that following there through their stuff. If they go somewhere else, they still, for the most part, have it. A thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like a positive development for reporters. I think so. And I think we could be in this stage where it's like, We'll look back at this moment in news the way in Hollywood they think of the studio system, where stars were attached to particular studios, and if the film didn't wasn't a go at Metro Golden Mayor or whatever, you couldn't do the film. And now stars are free agents, right? And they can shop it around. And we could be moving to an era. I don't know how the legacy institutions survive, but we could be moving to an era where there are more independent journalists who that that kind of SWAT. Interesting. So, how long have you been doing uh, news, not noise? Oh my gosh, I don't even like to count. It's been. It's been a while. Okay. It's been like a year. That's, that's nothing. 
Is that nothing? No, it feels nothing. like a long time to me. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that seems like it. you just started. It's awesome. Um, now, so you've been doing it for a year. Now, like, when you look back on what you were doing before, tell me about, like, the the differences and, like, what you thought it would be and, and what you expect and how it's been different than, than that. So I had no expectations. I did not know what to expect. I, you know, my goal was to try to – basically, I was saying to everybody, we got to find another voice in the news. We got to do the news differently. And I was getting no, 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 no everywhere I turned, whether it was from news brands or if it was in Hollywood producers or – like, nobody wants that. Nobody wants news in a different voice, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, I don't know why you think you can do that. You spent your whole career doing, you know, conflict outrage news. So I did it to challenge myself, A. And B, I really wanted to prove there's another way. And the thing that's been the most gratifying is to be able to connect with the audience, which is awesome, you know. When I was on CNN, I could talk to an audience of millions, but you have no idea how it's connecting. And now, you know, I put up a story and people immediately message me saying, hey, did you see this in the debate? I thought that mattered. Why aren't you posting on it? Why don't you? Or um, I didn't understand this thing. Would you explain it? And you have this dialogue and you'll start to see a lot of questions in one category. And so, you know, like that's an area I should address. I love that part of it. I also love the no gatekeepers. So nobody's telling me what's the story today. I get to say, everybody's freaking out that Trump wants to buy Greenland, but we've been talking about that for three days. And on day three, I don't think it's the story. So I am going to do a story on fill in the blank. And I love that I have that freedom. Because otherwise, if you were somewhere else, they would be like, Greenland's still the story. I'm afraid that's the case. Uh You know, I mean, because you're also, it's just you're on that treadmill when you're in, in a different space. Yeah. And so I get to say, I'll do a story that I know isn't going to rate or score as high as some other story, but it also proves the point of what I'm doing. And it'll also come in handy in the future. So I'll do an explainer on the, the protests in Hong Kong. And I know that this is an ongoing story so that when this becomes like the biggest news around, I just refer back to the explainer I did three weeks ago. Like, you want to know what it's about? Here. Mm. Or I've done this on Brexit. This is, you know, people are constantly like, remind me again, what really is Brexit? And so I can just pull up the old explainers I've done. I'll go back and say, having no gatekeepers is the best part. It's also the worst. Because there are some days you wake up and think, what's the story today? And I miss having that kind of the newsroom to go talk to my reporter friends and others and sort of bounce ideas. And like the, I mean, those places also have just an infrastructure of information that is hard. Yeah. I guess you have the internet though. I mean, it's not quite the same. It's not quite the same. What's the difference between getting feedback from now viewers as opposed to, I guess, before you were getting feedback from producers, probably? Well, what, yes. I mean, before you'd get feedback from producers. Like, what was that? What's the feedback they give versus what the audience gives? Producers, you more engage on the front end. So you'll turn in your script and they'll ask for changes to the script on the front end. After you're on air, you don't generally get feedback. I mean, unless it's something like tragic happens, you know. You have a fake eyelash falling off or something <laughs> devastating like that. They need to fix that. The big difference is before I would get a lot of angry trolls that would say for the exact same story, you know, you're barking out talking points for the DNC and like you're a lapdog for the RNC <laughs> for the exact same story, right? And and now it's much more, would you explain this? Would you tell me more of that? Also a lot of really good story today, but – your hair looks amazing. What's your product? 
I can't tell you how much stuff I get along the lines of everything to do with my hair. Also, what's your lipstick shade? And exactly they want to know, not the shade, they want to know what's the name of the brand, take a photograph of the bottom of the lipstick, I'm going to buy that right now. It's crazy. There's like, they basically want to shop my look. Yeah. Maybe I'm getting this wrong, but it seems like you sort of haven't gone like full divulging personality. Not, I mean, you, I, you, I'm you, so you on get the personality line. from like watching you, obviously, and like you, you're, you have a, you know, you're a charismatic person, but it doesn't seem like you're doing too much of the like, what some other people in social media are doing where they like tell you everything about their personal lives and all that kind of stuff. I haven't done that. Yeah. So do you do the do you share the bottom of the, the shampoo I, bottle or no? I talk about my hair every so often because okay. there is such intense interest. And because so I wrote a novel about being a woman in the news business. It's fiction. But one of the things that happens to the main character, Natalie, is she's constantly tortured about her hair. And so hair is a big theme for women in the news. And so I'm slightly more transparent about that because it's been such right. a big part of what I think is you know, it, it, I've been entangled with it my whole career. Entangled, right? Yeah, right I guess yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah. Uh, so I talk every so often. I'll say something, especially if my hair's curly one day, and I know everyone's going to comment. Like I have naturally curly hair. I blow it dry. If I'm ever on with curly hair, I get crazy amount of DMs. Like, is that real? What did you do? What is happening? I can't figure this out. So I now address it up front. I don't talk about you know like my personal life. Yeah. Seems like you also make a conscious effort to keep it like, you know, nice and friendly and polite, and even in the comments. Is that a hard thing to do? Like, yes, because I've I've gone through your comments. I don't see a lot of people being like super mean, like you see in other places, and I don't really understand why that is. Because I seems love like- you for getting that. One of my most gratifying days was I did a story on the measles vaccine, and there was a measles outbreak. And I knew going in that it was going to be controversial yeah. because the vaccine wars are among the most emotionally fraught online, right? Yep. And I thought, I'm going to lose about 15,000 followers. Just for doing the story. Just for doing the story because I'm going to report the science. And I was astonished. Like it's There is about 400 comments, and it is so respectful and civil. And there are vax and anti-vax people including biochemists and vaccine, like, scientists who actually know the science explaining how it works and what they know. And when people start to get edgy and nasty, other members of the community jump in and say, you can do that everywhere else. On News Not Noise, we're polite. Stop. Hmm. And I was like, I'm like a proud mom. Like, thank you. That's amazing. Yeah. What did you do to cultivate that? I mean, was that, like, uh, something that you had to do a lot of work to, to sort of communicate that? Or did people just kind of do that on their own based on the style of reporting you were doing? I think at first it was just my style of reporting, and then I started explaining what I'm doing. I think I need to do more of that, explaining what I'm doing. But basically what I say is I think a lot of you guys are triggered by the news. It makes everybody panicked and anxious. I want to give you a space to get information without being completely freaked out. So would you meet me there? Hmm. Like if you want the hysteria, you can find it literally everywhere else. But if you're here, let's try to be friendly. And I think one of the reasons people – I mean, a lot of people say that they save when I do video stories. They save it for the end of the day and watch it before bed, which is something most people don't want to watch news before bed. But they say, I think you're my friend, and you tell it to me in a way that makes me calm and feel good. So 
I can see it right before bed. And so I think it's about, and then I say I'm doing that. Hmm. So I think it's like a yeah. reinforced expectation. I mean, one thing we're really studying here at the Webby's this fall, uh, we, every fall we sort of pick a topic and we do a bunch of research and work with YouGov on doing polling around it. And one thing we're really looking at is like just this overall culture of internet fighting, you mm-hmm. know, and that how it seems like wherever you go, everybody's like fighting about all sorts of things, small things, big things, important things, stupid things. But if you actually ask people, and we, we ask them, you know, what they want to see when they go on the internet, it's not that, you know, it's like they want to see photos from their friends and families and they want to see cool articles. And it sort of feels like, are we, did we like somehow transpose the, the like hysteria, entertainment, combative thing of cable news? Did we, how did we like stick that on the internet? You know, cause that was the whole thing is that it didn't necessarily have to be it was done before. And now we're kind of like, it feels like we're back there a little bit. No, I love you for asking that question. And my, you know, my personal point of view is yes. I think that in cable news in particular models, political discussion in a certain way, political discussion as polarized combat. There's not a middle ground position. Every discussion has to be about maximal opposition are the producers like in the ears of people saying like you need to have like a hotter take or you need to come up with something more extreme? Is it's that, no like, accident is it, that people are going. It's like really pushed to yeah to the extremes. Yeah. I, I just it's it's a style of doing the news, right? And I'd say different places do it to different degrees, blah blah blah. But you know what I'm talking about. Mm. And I think we've just and not everybody watches cable, but the influencers do, and then they model that as well. And that gets disseminated and pushed out, and this becomes what our discourse looks like. And then it's also reflected in our leadership, right? So everywhere you're looking in the political space, there's this extremely polarized, outrage-driven conflict. And so people who are living their lives and doing their day think that's what politics is. So when I do politics, I'm going to be the most. The whole reason I was doing this is to say, there's another way, watch. And people would say to me, sure, there's another way, but nobody wants it. Nobody cares. And what I'm trying to prove is people do want it. There is an audience for that. And then they'll say to me, yeah, but you know, you have to hook people with emotion for them to engage long term. The emotion is empathy. The emotion is caring. On the one hand, you can do news with extreme conflict. On the other hand, you can do news that's about extreme caring. And the one more thing I'll say to prove that's true is what are the things that do best online? It's like reunion stories, right? Where some mom is surprised because her military son is right. home for the thing. Yeah. Or an explainer that just breaks it down and makes you feel informed. Those do way better than anything else. And it proves that people online do want something different when they can choose and it's not programmed to them. We just have to make a conscious choice to support that kind of content as well. So after a year, you've learned a lot about it. You know, you had this idea. You've, now you've been doing it long enough where it's like you must have like ideas about the idea now that it's in action. I do. You know? Um, I wish I were ready to tell you. Yeah. I, I really – I am not in a place where I can exactly tell you what's next. That's okay. But like – and just to get the general, like are you, are you hoping that it becomes – Yeah, there's more of this. Like yeah. there's – I'm not the only person who can do this. Mm-hmm. Like, I think what I've demonstrated is there's a way of communicating that's different, and I can replicate that with other people. And you can replicate that with other topics. And it's not about me. It's about just approaching It's approaching complex ideas in a different way. And I think that there's 
a really, you know, people have like the four diet people they go to online and, you know, their favorite chefs and the person who tells you about your genes and your favorite sports people. But a lot of the audience is still searching for the news voice they trust right? and information voices they trust. And yeah. I think that's a big opportunity. Um, I don't usually ask people about like business models because there's like a million Silicon Valley people who can talk about business models. Yeah. It's not something we're super focused on as in, in our podcast here, but I want to ask you about it. And the reason specifically is I think it's so intertwined in a way with what you're doing and that sort of like what we've been talking about that some of the the proven way of generating revenue that can support a news business is this like conflict model. It's a proven way, right? It Maybe it doesn't, won't work in the future or whatever, but lots and lots of media companies have taken on this idea, hey, we're going to have people argue with each other and we can we can get people engaged and we can sell advertising. If you're not doing that, do you think like is is your route to sort of revenue and all that is it advertising based? Is it subscription based? Do you think it makes a difference? I think that what drives revenue is audience, and if you can get audience, you either do subscriptions or you do sponsorships or you do partnerships. I would like approach the question differently, mm. which is as long as you can prove people you've got people's eyeballs and trust, there's money to be made. Right and I think I proved the hard part, which is people actually want to know this stuff and they want to engage. And I was told that wouldn't be true. And so now it's just a question of how do you generate, like, what's the best path to more growth? What's the best path to making those choices so it's aligned with integrity and also what this mission's about? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. We'll wrap up. I want to ask you a little bit about the book. That's hard. Oh, my gosh. Writing a novel is not easy. I mean, on the one hand, first of all, I always wanted to write a novel. When I was a little kid and people said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd say a novelist. So it didn't feel like a choice. It felt like I have to do this, like I have to get it out of my system. And at first it was really fun because I would just write vignettes, but it would turn out I would write a vignette that would last about a minute 45 if spoken, which was the length of my average news story. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, it needs a plot and a backbone and a structure and these characters need to intertwine. And so I finally realized like what I need to do is find somebody who knows plot and novel writing. I teamed up with an editor who I would start to, we would like break the backbone of the plot and then I'd write and get notes. And that was how I actually got through it. I found it to be enormously cathartic and fun. And also like any business, you realize there's an art and a craft to how this thing is done. And you need to find smart people who can help you, give you the keys. Mm. 
And for people who don't know, it's called Savage News. Oh yeah, we should talk. Tell it, me what it, it's a, it's. Has, I would imagine it has borrows some from your personal experience, but oh, it's fiction. It's fiction. This right. is. I live in LA, so all the time people said I say I write a novel, and they're like, "Oh, is it fiction or nonfiction?" And I say it's fiction. They're like, "So is it real or made up?" So now I say I wrote a fiction novel of made up stories. That's kind of based on some things that maybe happened to me or my friends are well-known in the business. Sure. Um, it's about a young woman, Natalie Savage, who's always wanted to cover the White House, and she gets the assignment just as the First Lady disappears. It's got, I would say it's got, you know, palace intrigue, sex, drama, and it's not a Trump administration tell-all. Right. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> it's, it's really about what it takes to make it in the news business as a woman. It's a little bit about reporting while female. And when do you do when your own personal integrity is challenged in order to make it? And how do you make the right choices? Huh. Um, and are there lots of like little, I would imagine there's like lots of little stories of horrendous things that cable news made you do in there kind of? Not necessarily no, me. Not you, I mean, right, there's, sure. I'll give you an example. There's a scene where the entire Washington Bureau is freaking out because the breaking news banner has crashed and they're live on air without the words breaking news on TV. So everyone rushes to the control room to try to summon the words. And they decree after that that henceforth, we will just have breaking news plastered on television at all times. It will only come down by choice. Right. So it's and like – Here we are. I know. That's the thing. It was a send-up at the time, and now people say it's real. Uh, it's, I mean, it's absolutely 100% real. <laughs> I mean, it worked. There's one show in particular, which I won't name, that it started doing that at one point maybe a couple years ago. And I think it totally worked on me for like the first month or two. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> He's going to be gone this time. Then, this time it's going to be it. And then it's like, oh, wait, no. I know this drama. Yeah. Uh, there's another scene where the main character, Natalie, is asks her first question at the White House press briefing, and she's totally freaked out that she asked the wrong question, and how are people going to judge her? And her bureau chief messages her, I need to see you immediately. That was terrible. And she goes to the bureau chief's office, and she's quaking, basically, and starts to apologize immediately and explain why she asked the question. She asked, and the bureau chief is like, oh, I had the volume down. I want to talk about your hair. Why is it an eighth of an inch longer on one side than on the other? Are you tilting your head, or is your haircut uneven? That is the real experience oh, too God. often. Um, I'll wrap up. Last question about uh, news, not noise. How are you thinking about this? I think it's like you have a campaign coming up. It's just I like, I mean, this is like a, right? You're already doing this new thing, totally different way. And now you have a campaign. It's going to be totally new. First time you've ever done, done it this way for, you know, like, so talk to me a bit about that. Like, what are you expecting and what are you hoping to do? And, you know, what's your goals for the campaign? I'd like to give – use it as a platform to highlight some of other people's work, you know, bring on experts, not pundits, who have real insight for the audience that can help them decipher what's going on, try to give people breakdowns of the topics that are being discussed in the campaign. So what is the public option really? Don't give me a bunch of policy wonk words. Like, tell me just the real. Why do I like that better than something else or do I? And, you know, also create an opportunity for candidates and people who are out on the trail to get messages out to an audience that's not necessarily engaged and not necessarily paying attention in other um, arenas. Mm. And this might be the one place that they're actually taking in political news information. You think you're going to be out there interviewing candidates and having that as part of part of your stories and stuff like that? Uh, I don't know how much I can travel. It depends. I'd like to travel to the swing states. That's yeah. where I'd like to focus. Great. And, I mean, that's where the election's going to happen. So We're excited. get out there. Jessica Allen, thanks for joining us. We're super excited to see what you do this year. Thank and, you. and thanks so much for joining the Thank Wendy you podcast. for your support and for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. 
Thank you so much to Jessica for stopping by and speaking with us. You can follow her at Jessica Yellen, J-E-S-S-I-C-A-Y-E-L-L-I-N, on Instagram to keep up with her news not noise so you can hear news told with compassion. Her book, Savage News, is in stores now. If you like the Webby podcast and want to support it, take a couple of seconds and give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you really like it and want to go to the extra mile, leave us a review. For more information about the Webby Awards, visit webbyawards.com, that's webbyawards.com, or on social platforms at The Webby Awards. As always, you can reach me on social at dmdlikes. Our producer is Terrence Brosnan. Our editorial lead is Jordana Jarrett. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is the top five list you're hoping to make this year. I'm your host, David Michelle Davies, and this is The Webby Podcast. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.